Well, it's great to see all of y'all today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor of the church. I'm so thankful that you're here. You're always welcome to anything we have going on. I've got to start this service off today apologizing for something that I said last week. I made a comment uh, about the Arizona Diamondbacks that you were delusional if your fans thought you were going to win. I, I want to state for the record, I was actually pulling for them. If you remember the context, I was being critical of the city of Philadelphia, not y'all. I'm glad you won. You know, you're playing a team from Texas. I'll pull for them. I, I'm not kidding, man. I mean, there must have been people who had the text ready and for that last out. And that last out came and sin. So I started getting texts all over the place about all this. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll eat Cronus. You're welcome to rub it in. You can trash talk me all you want. But you understand this. You start trash talking about the Rangers. They're playing that World Series. And when the Rangers win it, and they will win it, I will, I will absolutely. As I talk, you know, I love my Texas teams. Dallas Cowboys are playing right now. If any time the Cowboys score a touchdown, somebody could just cough, let me know. I feel better. If uh, the Rams score a touchdown, just don't do anything. I'll miss the sermon up, I'll tell you. We're in a series entitled uh, Being Human, uh, Being Me. And today wraps up the series. Now, in November, I'm not going to preach you all in November. The staff guys are going to preach. They'll do a great job. Stephen, Troy, Joe, and Brian. Uh, I think it's important sometimes that y'all hear from those guys. You hear a different voice occasionally than only hearing mine. Uh, there are some really smart guys. They're, you know, they're pretty good preachers. And I think if you've never heard some of them, they, they, you need to hear some of the things that God places on their heart from time. That's an important part to understand all of our staff. And I'm going to wrap this series up today. And we've, we've talked so far about being created in the image of God. And that he created us male and female. And that we're human, but being human is no excuse for the fact that we sin in life. We can't say, well, you know, the reason I sin, the reason I rebel against God, the reason I mess up is because I'm just human. We also realized and saw that we have something in common we do uh, as, as humans, as a spiritual need that's missing because of our sin. And then we also saw last week that we began from John chapter 11 that all things come to an end, that sometime you and I will die. Now, I realize that Jesus could come before we die. The result is the same, you know, the things that we deal with in the afterlife. But, you know, that we're, we're going to die. And, and you've got to face the reality of that and the preparedness of that, which brings us to the message today. A continuation, really, in John chapter 11, entitled, uh, a sermon entitled, We Have a Chance. We have a chance in life. And you know, when I think about the fact that I've sinned against God, that we all sin, that we live in rebellion, that so many times there's, there's evil and there's wickedness, it, it kind of brings forth a question that needs to be asked and answered. And the question really is this, what chance do we have with God? What chance do we have with God? And so today I'm going to share a few things with you. And the first thing that I want to say today is if you're going to talk to talk, um, back in the early 90s, then head football coach of the Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson, famously said, got videos spread everywhere. He didn't make it up. He just said the saying, it was already in existence. If you're going to talk to talk, you better walk the walk. If you're going to talk, you could talk. At some point, you got to walk the walk. And what I want to share with you is that in reality, what we need about Jesus is he talked about a lot of things. Jesus did a lot of talking. And people responded in the 10th chapter, which is so important to understand the context of the chapter 11. In the 10th chapter of John, the, the, the religious leaders are, are, are really antagonistic towards Jesus. And Jesus said, he said these words, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall by no means perish and no one can snatch them of my hand. And that's a pretty bold statement. He says, I give eternal life. I'm the one who gives it. 
and no one can take them from me. No one, and there's no means will they ever perish. And then it went on to say even more. He said, the Father, who is greater than all, has given them to me, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he made this statement. He said, I and the Father are one. Imagine Jesus saying, God and I are one. After that statement, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill him because of what he said, because of the talk that he was talking. And John follows that up with chapter 11. And in chapter 11, as I began last week, a friend of Jesus named Lazarus, who had two sisters, Mary and Martha, was very sick. They sent word to Jesus to come. Lazarus would die before Jesus would ever get there. In fact, he'd be dead four days. Jesus waited till he went down there. When it was time to go, the disciples were concerned because they wanted to kill him in Jerusalem. Now, Bethany, where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived, was just a couple of miles away. It'd be like going down to I-25 down there. It wasn't that far away. And, and a lot of people would come from Jerusalem. They would come to Bethany. Evidently, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, very popular, well-known. Maybe they had wealth. We don't know. But they, they, people were there. And religious leaders were there. And we're just talking now. We're about two weeks away from Passover, two weeks from the death of Jesus. Jesus tells them, man, he's, we're, we're going. And they, and they head on. And then last week, we kind of, we went through verses 20 and 21, but I want to pick up those verses again. Here's what it says. So then Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. And Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, like I shared with you last week, Martha and Mary reacted to death. That was true to their nature. And then when Jesus was there, Martha went to him and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. My brother still be alive right now. That's, that's a pretty bold statement. It's a statement of faith. She wasn't upset with Jesus. She wasn't rebuking him. She was stating something of her faith. She says, I know you. I know you could have healed him if you had been there. And as good a statement as that was, as important a statement, she's not there. She's going to make a lot of fantastic statements. Martha, the things that Martha said are amazing. She does not get enough credit for just the expressions of real human faith that she has. Faith in the midst of so many things going on. She went on to say this to Jesus. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus, even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God's going to give you. Now, some people think maybe she was asking that Jesus would raise Lazarus back. But she wasn't asking that. I mean, when it came time to raise him up, she's like, Lord, he's been dead four days. You can't do that. But what she was really just saying is this. Jesus, I want you to know that despite everything that's happened, I still trust you. I still know that you have that connection with God. I still want you to know I haven't lost the faith that I have in you, Jesus. No matter how hard it is, Jesus, no matter how tough it is, I still trust you. That's a hard thing to do, you know. When you go through life and life gets really difficult and hard and there are challenges you have to face, to be able to say, Jesus, no matter what, I'm still with you. I still have confidence in you. I still trust you. Then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise from the dead. He said, Martha, your brother's going to rise. Now, this is, Jesus is human. Don't forget this. And throughout this passage, you're just going to see the humanity of Jesus. He, he's, he's giving her comfort, really, in some respects. I mean, I get that. When someone passes away and their loved ones are there, I'll say, you know, hey, listen, they went to be with Jesus. Or, you know, you, you know you'll know you see him again. If they're a follower of Christ, I give them that comfort. Jesus was saying, you know, he's going to rise again. But he meant more to it than that. Verse 24, Martha said this. She said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And this is important because Martha, like most Jews, believed in a resurrection. 
the Sadducees didn't, but what the Jews believed in was that when the Messiah would come and he would go into Jerusalem, throw out the Romans, the enemies of God, reestablish the Jewish people forever, then the Jews who had already dead, were dead would be raised back to life. And then the Jews would, you know, in essence reign and, and they would be the kingdom over all, you know, whatever else existed, they would be them. So they had this phenomenal understanding and belief in resurrection. I mean, she believed that. So she's saying, listen, I, 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 I know. I'm with you. I know he's going to come back on that last day. Then Jesus is going to make a statement. And the statement about, he's about to make is one of the most important things you'll see in the Bible, of all the New Testament, of all the Scripture. Now, in the Gospel of John, there are seven times that John records Jesus as saying what we call an I am statement. I am something. Now, Jesus said I am a lot, but these are significant. Um, and, and, and the phrase speaks to and is referencing to his role as the Messiah. Now, these specific seven things is this phrase that's used in the Greek. Now, Jesus is Greek phrase. Jesus would have spoken most likely Aramaic or Hebrew. And then John would have wrote in Greek, he would have wanted to capture exactly what Jesus meant. So he uses the Greek phrase, ego I me, I I am. It's emphatic. It means I and only I. In fact, seven times he'll reference this with Jesus in, in terms of his messiahship. In chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I'm the light of the world. In chapter 10, he says two different things. In verse 9, he says, I am the, the gate through which the sheep pass. And then he says, in verse 11 and 15, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 14, he'll say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. And in chapter 15, verse 15, he will say, I'm the vine. Now, chapter 14, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, in this one we're about to come to, are in many ways, I think, the two most important things that Jesus said in the New Testament to us in referencing his role as the Messiah. John 14, 6 is so important. In fact, these are the two passages I use a lot when I do funerals. Uh, when, I did the, when I did my memorial service for my own wife I, last year, I did this passage we're in today. But in John 14, 6, I think John 14, 6, in the culture and the world which we live in today is the most important thing Jesus said. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can by any means come to the Father but through me. I and I alone. Now, in a world where people, you know, try to say you get to create your own reality, in the world where people want to pick and choose the religions and pick bits and pieces, even in a world where even within Christianity there are people who say, you know, probably there are more than one way to get to God. Surely all these other religions can't be wrong. There's more than one way to God. In all of this, Jesus says you need to understand without any doubt there is no way to God but through me. That statement is either 100% correct or 100% wrong. There's no gray area. That's what makes that statement so important. That is statement 1A. This statement I'm about to read to you is statement 1B. Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you, Martha, believe this? He said, I and I alone, no one else and the resurrection and the life. Well, what does that mean? Well, resurrection was always tied basically to the coming of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, would there be resurrection? He's saying whatever you think resurrection is, whatever resurrection in reality is, I'm it. And so in essence, he's claimed to be the Messiah. I and I alone am the Messiah, and he's given evidence for that. But not only that, I and I alone am life. Now, 
The word he uses for life, the word that John uses, there's, there's several words you could use. The two most common, one was bios, which we get our term biology. It means flesh and bone, biology. Most of you probably took biology. They thought evidently I needed to take it several times for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but they kept letting me repeat it. Um, it's not the word used up. The word used is the word zoe. It means life as it's intended to be, the, the essence of what life is. It's the phrase, it's the word that's used for eternal life. So Jesus says this, I, and just me, emphatically, am resurrection of life. Whatever those things mean, I'm it. And then he went on to say, the one who believes in me will live. Now, the word belief, I'm gonna, this word belief is used a lot in this pas- these passages. I'm going to talk about it more in a minute. But it's the idea of faith, the idea of trusting me. The one who puts his trust in me will live even though he dies. And the one who lives and believes will never die. So it, it counts kind of confusing. So let me just put it to you this way. The word live and the word die, he's talking about two types of life, two types of death. There is the physical life and death. We all experience physical life now. Eventually, we'll experience physical death. But there is the spiritual or the eternal aspect of both life and death. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you live in your rebellion and sin, you are living now in spiritual death, eternal death. That's what waits you. When you become a follower of Jesus, you then receive eternal life. And when you pass away and die, you go to receive the fullness of eternal life. So what Jesus is saying is this. The person who puts their faith in me right now will live eternally even though they die physically. And if while you live right now physically, you believe you'll never experience the spiritual or eternal death. Now, it's really not that complicated. As long as you have life, if you trust Jesus with your life, you have eternal life. But if you die Without ever putting your faith in Jesus, you will experience and keep on experiencing eternal death. And then he says this to Martha, do you believe this? Martha, this is the real question. Do you believe this? Now think about what she's saying. In all that she's going through, he's saying, you have made some great statements of your confidence in me. You have indicated a tremendous faith and a tremendous amount of support. Now here's what I want to know, Martha. Do you really have faith in this, your deepest, darkest, toughest moment of your life? Do you still trust me? The ultimate question of life is, do you believe this? That's really it. I mean, when Jesus is saying it's really true, the ultimate question, he looks at us, all of us at some point, have to realize, do we believe Jesus? Do we take him at his word at what he says? And then Martha, is, is just the things that she says is amazing. Here's what Martha says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have come to believe. And the word belief there means completely, totally. It's written in such a way, it's just an emphatic forever belief. I come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes in the world. I believe, I have faith in this. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Remember, the Messiah was human. You are flesh and blood, the one. But not only do I believe the Christ, I believe that you're the Son of God. And to reference him as Son of God is to reference him as deity. When Jesus said in the chapter before, I and the Father are one. Martha went there. But this is what she's saying. You are God. You're the one who has come into the world. That is an amazing statement that she has made. Jesus has said some things. He has talked an unbelievable talk. And she has taken him at his word. But there's more to it than that. Because at some point, not only must Jesus talk the talk, he must secondly walk the walk. You better walk the walk if you're going to say that. I mean, I'm just saying, if you're going to say you're the son of God, 
If you're going to say I and the Father are one, if you're going to say the resurrection and the life, you can say it, but man, you've got to prove it. Jesus did amazing things on earth. He had done so many healings and miracles, but you know, it's still people didn't believe. What's fascinating is that on two different occasions, he took someone who had just died and brought them back to life. He took the daughter of Jairus and brought her back to life. He took the, the son of a widow. They were on their way to bury him. That means it was the day he died that day, and he brought him back to life. Now, back in that time, people believed that when a person died, their soul, their spirit, hovered around their body for about three days. Not everyone believed that, but a lot of Jews did. And don't think that Jesus did that, believed that, but he lived with that concepts. So he had to work with people the way they were. And on the fourth day, the, the spirit would go ahead and go to the place of the dead. So, it, you know, it was believed that, you know, I guess in case, that was their way of trying to explain how people could be in a coma or come back or whatever, but that's what they believed. Now, some could argue possibly that when he raised those other two back to life, that they weren't dead, they were just in a coma. People today say that a lot. Like, because, you know, back then they didn't know when people were dead or not. And they couldn't take their fingers and put it on their pulse. That, that technology hadn't been developed, you know. They didn't, hey, I don't know. We don't have the technology to know that they're dead or not. So we'll just let their spirit hover around for three days and then we'll determine. And so, you know, all these things going on with Lazarus. People today could say, well, was he really dead? Well, yeah. People could, could say, well, the spirit was floating around back then three days. So Jesus let four days pass. And so they're, they're going to the tomb. Now they get to the tomb, and there's that great verse, John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I grew up, you know, in those uh, old days, the hardline Southern Baptist. And I remember preachers preaching, saying, you know, Jesus didn't cry because he was sad. He didn't get sad. He knew Lazarus was going to come back. He cried and wept because all the people who didn't believe. Let me just tell you this. That's hogwash. It really is. We, we spiritualize things so much. You know what Jesus was fully? He was fully human. You believe that? He was, John says he was fully human. You know what humans do when people they love die? They cry. They do. He knew he was going to raise that. But here, Martha was sad. He loved Martha. And Mary was sad. He loved Mary. No, there are times that I feel for people and I'm sad with them. I know when my wife died, the second she died, she went to be with Jesus. But even the, the past few days, you know, last week a little bit, there were a couple things happened, and I cried a little bit and wept. So I am human, in case you were wondering, but I did. <laughs> even though I know where she is, that's what humans do. Jesus is human. And he was connecting. Man, he was close to them. And verse 38, Jesus, he was deeply moved within. That phrase, deeply moved, is really a strong emotional phrase. Um, and uh, it can be used to speak of real anger. It's not anger here, but he was moved within. And he came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench where he's been dead four days. He said, man, he's, he's going to smell. Jesus said to her this, come on, Martha. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? They removed the stone. Now, he had said that. We saw last week in dealing with the apostles that this is not going to end in death with the glory of God. I don't know when he exactly said it to Martha, but he must have said it to Martha and Mary. And so, you know, John is summarizing all this. And Jesus lifts up his eyes and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He begins to pray. But I know, knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of these people standing around, I said it so they might believe you sent me. So I'm doing this, Father, for them. I know I'm connected to you, God. And he probably had a longer prayer than that, and he summarized it. But then the important thing came out, verse 43. 
After he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come on. Now, I remember some of those old school preachers used to say, well, the reason he called Lazarus to come forth, because if he didn't use the name Lazarus, all the dead people in all those tombs would have come out. That's not what that means. He's just being personal. It's like when I go in the office and Brian's or Joe's door is shut or Brian's door is shut, and I bang on the door and say, hey, Brian, you in there? I, I mean, I use Brian. I'm not going to say, hey, whoever's in there, I say, Brian, are you in there? And he says, no, I'm not. So, you know, that happens. <laughs> that illustration breaks down at that point. He said, Lazarus, you got that relationship? Come on out, man. Verse 44, out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He looked like a mummy coming out of there, man. He just, this is like a mummy. This would have been so cool if this happened, like on Halloween, this, the day. If we could date, like, hey, Halloween. You know, he had the, the first mummy came walking back to life, you know. He came out. You know what happened when he came out? Verse 45 tells us, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary saw what he had done, believed, in him. They believe. That word believed. That's the verb. The faith is the noun. They both mean essentially just to trust. They trusted Jesus. And it means they trusted him with their life. They took their life. And they gave it to Jesus completely. They, they took what they had. Their life. And they began to just trust him. I mean if a guy could be dead four days. And Jesus brought him back to life. I mean, he's got to be who he says he was. And people began to believe and have faith. And the Jewish leaders decided they needed to kill Jesus, and they also needed to kill Lazarus. And they say, why would they need to kill Lazarus? Because as long as Lazarus lived, he was a talking, walking reminder that Jesus was the Messiah. As long as he was alive... People could realize, and he could say, hey, I was dead four days. He brought me back to life. He's the Messiah. And so they wanted to kill him, and they wanted to kill Jesus. And we know that in a couple of weeks, they got Jesus. And they put him on that cross, and he died. And when he died, he was buried, and they thought it was over. That there would be no more Jesus. And then God raised him from the dead. And then he walked. And people saw him alive. Because not only did Jesus talk the talk, Jesus walked the walk. And because he did that, the third thing I want you to see today is there's always a chance. There is always a chance. When I was in Laredo, there was a wonderful lady in our church. She had raised two great grown children. And her husband, who was a, a professor at the university there, was a devout atheist, was dying of cancer, and he was terminal, didn't have much time left. And she told me, you know, he started reading the Bible. You think you could come by and talk to him? And I came by. I didn't really much of a conversation. But when he passed away after the funeral was over, she came and talked to me, and she said, David, do you think there was a chance? He trusted Jesus. I said, yeah, there's a chance, Bev. There's always a chance. You don't know in the final seconds of a person's life that the God who loves them, who sent Jesus to die for them, you don't know what he does in their heart. And you don't know that before that person dies, God gives them that one more chance to trust him. I believe that because in the Gospel of Luke, there was a thief on the cross 
who when there was nothing left in life, he was going to die at the end of his life, trusted Jesus. Because there's always a chance. There's always a chance for you. And there's always a chance for the people you care about. Because God cares so much for us that even in all our sin, in all our rebellion, in all the times we refuse him, in all the times we reject him, with all of that, knowing everything that God knows, and he knows it all, God sent Jesus. And Jesus was the ultimate human. He was the perfect human. He was the real human, and he died for us. God raised him back to life. And now we have a chance. All people have a chance now. And I know there are folks who say, well, you don't know, David, how much I've sinned and how bad I've been. Uh, I get it. It doesn't matter how much you sinned. It doesn't matter how much you've rejected God. It doesn't matter how much you've rebelled against God. You have a chance. It doesn't matter how sorry your life is, how lonely you are, and how unloved you may feel, so much so that you've just given up any hope of God at all. Listen, you always have a chance. Your family members have chances. The people you love and care about always have the chance. And it's because of the love of God. And it's the depth of his love. And I know people say, well, how can you know God loved me? Well, you know, it tells us in Scripture, but yet how can you know? And here's, here's how you know. God loves you because he created you in his image. He made you human. The very fact that you're human God loves you. The very fact that he created you in his image to have a relationship with him, even in your rebellion, even in your refusal to acknowledge him, even in your rejection of him, he still loves you because you're human. And to be human, to be me, is to have a chance at real life eternal life. To be human means you always have a chance to have eternal life. So we're created in the image of God, you and I, male and female, unique and different. We've rebelled against him, and he never lets us use that fact that we're human as an excuse for our rebellion. In fact, because of that, we all have a need for him that we can't make on our own. We can't make it go, that we can't satisfy. And all of us one day are going to die. And if we still die with that need, we're in trouble, man. In the midst of all of that, though, despite what you may experience and know, God still loves us. And it's funny when you think about it that I began this message today by saying with what chance do we have with God, thinking about what a sinner I am and the things that I have done in my life and sometimes still do, what chance could I possibly have with God? So understand this. We have no chance with God except for Jesus. Then we all have a chance. We all have a chance because of Jesus. You believe this, don't you? You know this is true, don't you? then why don't you trust him with your life? Why don't you take that chance and you believe in him? Why don't you take that chance 
And find those people you love and care about and remind them that God loves them. And they have a chance. So in the very first message that I preached, I said, what does it mean to be human? And I said, to be human is to be created in the image of God, male and female. But because of our sin, to be human means something else. To be human means we need Jesus. To be human means we need to trust Jesus. And so I invite you to trust him with your life. I invite you to take the chance of a lifetime and believe in him. To be human. To be you. In a moment I'll be here and there'll be a few others here as well. And if you need to give your life to Christ, if you need to take that chance, why don't you come do that? If you want to pray with one of us, for yourself or for someone you love, we do that quite often. Why don't you do that as well? If you just want to come and, and maybe join our church, we'd love for you to join our church. I don't know what you need to do. I know you're going to walk out of here today. You need to walk out of here and understand what it means to be human, to be you. And you need to walk out of here today having taken the chance of a lifetime to follow Jesus. So, Father, as we come before you to honor you and to glorify you, to praise you, we come also because we have a need in our life for Jesus. And we can't, we can't make up for all of our sin. Jesus did all of that. And in doing so, God, you gave us a chance, a chance that we didn't deserve, a chance that you don't owe to us, but a chance because of your love for us you gave us. So God, now I pray that today we would take that chance and follow Jesus. Amen. And amen. Would you stand? You come.